0: Hi, my name is Ula and I'm co-CEO at MIM Fertility and FemTech to me is using cutting-edge technologies such as machine learning and deep learning to improve women's health. Welcome to FemTech Focus with Dr. Brittany
1: Barreto, exploring the past, present and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus Podcast, brought to you by FemHealth Insights, the leaders in women's health, market research, and consulting. In this show, we have meaningful and provocative conversations with FemHealth experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and in today's episode, I interview Ula Sankowska, co-CEO of MIM Fertility. MIM Fertility was founded in 2015 as a startup spin-out from the University of Warsaw in Poland. They combine the most advanced machine learning, imaging solutions, and data mining algorithms with clinical knowledge of reproductive medicine. Their goal is to empower doctors and patients to make well-informed decisions about fertility treatments. In this interview, we discuss how imagery is used in the IVF process, the use of machine learning to analyze these images to assist healthcare professionals during the IVF procedure, and how these intellectual software tools expand access, increase success, and decrease costs for women undergoing egg freezing or IVF. This is a great opportunity to learn about the potential for AI in women's health. Learn more about MIM Fertility at www.mimfertility.ai. Enjoy the episode.
0: Hi, Ula. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. Thanks for having me here. It's an honor to be with you today.
1: (laughs) It's great to have you. Where are you calling us from today?
0: Oh, well, it's a, it's a tricky question. Actually, the place I am, he, I'm in the middle of Costa Rica um, right now. Uh, however, uh, on a daily basis, I work from Warsaw, Poland. Oh my gosh, the our, jungle yeah, yeah. in Poland. <laughs> yeah, no, like, yeah. That is
1: so exciting. What is, uh, what is Femtech like in Poland? Is that, is it a word that people talk about? Are there other startups in Poland working in women's health?
0: well actually they are not too many however they are uh like um it's a well femtech i would say it's uh it's getting more and more popular um however there are few startup work startups working in poland on on uh, women's health um uh and we know each other very well because as i say it's a pretty small community however is getting rolling and uh, I think, um, it's also, uh, it's following the world trend, uh, on, on, on MedTech. So it's, I hope it will be like, like our company, like MIM Fertility, there will be more and more people that will get involved, not only women, but also the other part. So the men,
1: so, um, And I know we didn't ask you to prepare an answer for this, but uh, I have not talked to a Polish Femtech founder yet. So what is a like a women's health issue specific to Poland that you think needs like solving?
0: Uh, Well, it's a it's a it's a good question. But however, I would answer this by, you know, posing the other question, you know, like what's I I think actually what's not important or, you know, everything is important. I think the, it's uh, like everywhere in the world, you know, it's half of us is of the population is women and there's research study on, on women's health is just actually beginning in every part of the world, especially in US probably. However, I would say, uh, that everything needs it's, it's quite important and we are kind of, uh, if I would rather compare it to, you know, like, um, growing a baby, I would say we are in the baby stage. You know, <laughs> we are not even in kindergarten. So, um, yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I I like to ask that because, you know, we see countries in Asia with uh, fertility rates that are so low that they're not even repopulating their own population. So fertility is a huge issue in Asia. And then, you know, you have like the United States and we have no postpartum care and we have really high maternal mortality rate. So that's like a super Hmm. big issue for us. Meanwhile, you know, in Asia or both Asia and Europe, they have amazing like doulas and midwives and postpartum care. And so it's just interesting sometimes to get that global perspective in terms of unique challenges. But it sounds like Poland is par for the course for women's health. Yeah, it all needs help.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. It's 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 part of, we are part of uh, Europe. Uh, so I think like probably in the standard, you know, the, the very specific, I, I cannot say about any very specific problems, specific for, for Poland, but I think we all always like talk about European Problems or, you know, what's happening in the European Union. So I think the same problems are more or less the same problems women are facing in Germany in Spain, in Italy, and Spain and Italy and in Poland. And I think it's really important to kind of spot first the needs, right? What are the needs and to understand the market? And before you jump into, you know, building an innovation. So this, this is how I, how I see the things. However, Specifically, I mean, actually, I didn't want to talk about this, but I just say because it's pretty interesting, um, um for, uh, for the listeners probably uh, that are not from Poland, what is going on in Poland as it comes to, uh, fertility or the IVF market, right? So, uh, our company, MIM Fertility, is all about, you know, um, supporting, um, IVF treatment. And we are one, probably one and only company in Europe that, that does it, uh, one and only deep tech that really does it uh, for a living, um, you know, that we are building this kind of solutions using AI. And uh, imagine that I would say you would probably think of Poland as a almost less country that such a company could be born at, at such because, uh, the Polish government is one of the least governments that are supporting the IVF treatment. Mm. So it's not the, I would say it's not the favorite ground for, you know, starting such a business in Poland. When I started uh, in my infertility, everyone was like, what are you crazy? <laughs> uh, so, um, I think this is pretty interesting that actually we are building something, uh, where, where the ecosystem is not that in favor of what we are doing as a from the but I don't want to go into the politics too much
1: yeah we don't need to go into the politics but I think yeah. if there's any founders listening they've certainly been asked <laughs> what are you crazy at least once, and if not like they will be uh and so before we talk about your company MIM Fertility very excited to get into that we just want to learn a little bit more about you personally so tell us you know where you're from where'd you grow up you know, did you go to school? What did you study? Are you an <laughs> AI expert? Like, just kind of give us a little bit of background.
0: Okay, uh, sure, pleasure. However, it's. I think it's always kind of uh, a bit boring to 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 tell the story of my own uh, of my own uh, private life. However, okay, I, I uh, I'm i a you know, I grew up in in, in Warsaw. Um, however, I've spent uh, like I guess probably 15 years of my life abroad uh, I was traveling a lot I started as a young girl I was I was sent to school to United States when I was 11 all on, on my own uh, for one year I think it was a tough lesson of my life. Uh, after, uh, you know, this U.S. Um, uh, junior high, I was uh, I, I moved with my parents to Germany for two years. I was I was going there to school. Um It was as well tough because I didn't know any word of German. So I need to pick up very fast. It was another tough uh, lesson of my life. Uh, and. I guess I had uh, many tough lessons in my life, um, because I, I, as I said, uh, I was moving a lot. I was changing my jobs a lot. To, uh, well, I, I'm by education. I'm an economist. I finished Warsaw School of Economics. I graduated from Warsaw School of Economics. And afterwards, I, I also did a postgraduate study in Dublin. Uh, well, I, I would say I was, um, my career or well, my, my, my path or my, my career path was always kind of that what I followed was I wanted to, um, see different places in the world. So when I was offered a nice, better job, well-paid in another country, I was just saying yes. So I was, I was traveling a lot. I was working in Italy for a couple of years, um. I was working in Brussels at the European parliament, for example, with very interesting people. Uh, I was working in Germany, um, in Ireland. Uh, So I moved a lot. And however, uh, when I got married, uh, I wanted to, um, yeah, I wanted to build a family and I wanted to have kids. I wanted to have a lot of kids actually, always. And... um, Yes, it um, it started with this dream. However, this dream um, to fulfill the dream, I, I need to I need to wait for well, pretty couple of years, about six years. I was fighting to get pregnant, and this is actually this is my story of actually how am I infertility begins because um, it's based uh, on, on my private story and private experiences. I, I was an IVF patient, so. Uh, I was traveling through all Europe to and visiting a lot of clinics to um, to to be a mom. Uh, today uh, I'm a mom of two, so uh, I'm, uh, this is this is my dream came true. Uh, so I'm a happy mom and uh, and actually I was when I got pregnant, I gave up all the work I had. Uh, I was working um, I had a very nice job in Berlin. I was working for a big corporate and energy sector. And I, but I wanted to dedicate myself to, to grow up kids and, and, you know, to, um, to have fun with them. So for a couple of years, I was, I was full-time mom and, um, yes. And afterwards I joined, um, when my kids went to kindergarten, I joined the, the company called MIM Solutions. It was actually, uh, a startup, uh, at the base, it was 2000, the, the, the company was started in 2015, um. I joined in 2018, uh, it was, a, a well, a very small company, a startup born at the university of Warsaw. It was a software house and, um, I wanted to, um, to support, uh, I should support the software house with my, you know, business knowledge because it was, it, it was founded by, uh, two co-founders. It was one, it, one of them was my husband. Peter and the other one was another Peter, so there were two Peters on the board, um, and um they are both uh, data scientists uh, by education, and they were lacking kind of you know someone from the business uh, business side. So I joined the company, and actually I was on this company for a year, and after a year in 2019, I I, I decided or I gave a sparkle to move from you know in this. Different industry sectors because we were doing AI custom AI projects for different industries. Um, I asked the guys to uh, uh, to think about healthcare to move into healthcare with our super expertise on machine learning and deep learning, and to concentrate on uh, on uh, fertility treatment because, as a as I said, as an IVF patient. I knew what are the bottlenecks, I knew what what are the problems and what actually the couples are going through, you know, doing IVF. So I thought we may do a lot. We may uh, kind of revolutionize the, the the whole process and we may help doctors to, you know, to be more effective and to give them the tools to, you know, to give better support uh, for the patient. So... Yeah, uh, I don't know if this is the story of my life. That's I think a great story. I, 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 I could like probably talk for four hours <laughs> about about this. You know what I, whom I met and where I've been, but I think it's not it's not that interesting for, for the listeners. Um, I can just say that um, I think for the first time in my life, I'm living my dream of doing something that has for me personally has totally sense i mean every day of my work is kind of you know i'm following my dream of uh fulfilling my dream that i can help people i am I'm, I'm trying i'm like every day i'm a step very small step maybe centimeters closer to Helping people with, uh, with infertility problems. I always, uh, as a kid, I always wanted to help, help people, help animals. I wanted always to be like supportive. And I think that today what I do at my infertility is just fulfilling my dreams and, and uh, my mission. So no matter what, I'm very stubborn lady or I'm very stubborn person and, um, uh, I'm very, perseverance and I'm um, kind of an optimist so um well those are all fantastic
1: qualities of a femtech <laughs> founder for sure why don't you tell our listeners what MIM Fertility is and what does it do today
0: well so uh I actually I already started in some way a some way to tell you what's MIM Fertility so it's um it's actually um it's all about helping couples helping IVF patients, uh, by helping the IVF providers actually. Uh, so, um, so our, okay. Let me start from the beginning. We're a company of 50 people right now on board. Uh, we are, our expertise is machine learning. It's, uh, it's deep learning. We, we always did AI. Um, this is our know-how uh, this is what we do. This is where we come from, um. However, you could ask, okay, but hey, IVF—it's a medical sector, right? So, what do you do in the medical sector? So, actually, what we did in the company, we built um, we built um, two very interdisciplinary teams made of data scientists and and ML experts uh, with uh, embryologists and gynecologists and ultrasonographists. and with those two teams, we we uh, for two years, two two years and a half, we. We're building or we've built uh two uh cutting-edge AI-driven uh software platforms that uh, help fertility professionals in their daily work in order to make uh to improve patient outcomes and increase clinic efficiency. So this is what it's all about. So we are a deep tech in one world, we are ML. Uh we do um we specialize, I can say now with really my full responsibility that we do specialize in, in IVF treatment uh, as such, uh, because uh, those two teams of data of uh, ML experts were working super hard two and a half years every day, like having, you know, like brainstormings and daily meetings with with doctors. Uh, so uh, we know a lot about IVF treatment already, I would say, and we, yeah, we we, we pick up very very uh, a lot of things uh, from the medical sector so um our goals actually with our ai solutions uh we want to support the expert clinicians with data driven decision making so uh, we want to make the ivf process as transparent as possible um we want to uh, uh, guarantee faster cheaper and uh, more accessible ivf treatment actually these are all problems that in many, in many different regions of the world, patients are facing every day.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: um, and most of all, I think what we are doing already, we are providing standardization and personalization of patients' IVF journey. So this Can is you where all our listeners this.
1: kind of a visual of, you know, thinking about what is a clinical support tool? How is machine learning involved in the physician's office? Is this something a, uh, patient would ever actually witness or is it on the doctor's computer and what exactly is it helping doctors figure out
0: so um actually it's it's a software that supports the clinician the fertility expert however uh the software we provide afterwards you can just click uh i i I will tell you about the products that we have the software that we built uh so maybe it's um um, the, the listeners or the, you know, the, the patients will know what we are doing exactly, but it's like on the clinical side. However, uh, for example, as we are doing the embryo assessment, we have an embryo assessment tool that we've built. Uh, we, you can give the, the, the clinician or the embryologist or the, the endocrinologist can print this report from our software and give it directly to the hands of the patient. So the patients gets also uh the visual let's say the visual um outcome of our of our work right uh-huh. so uh, so the, the the clinician gets get its first and and can be supported by the software however everything is actually all about the the patients it's patient centered uh-huh. um okay so uh, actually maybe let me start to to kind of describe in the more detail uh the software so uh the one software that we have built it's meant for embryologists it's called embroaid uh it's for any embryologist uh, that works in an IVF lab uh, and it's a decision support tool uh we uh with our uh, software uh based on ai um actually we used advanced um advanced um, computer version algorithm to build this uh, software we assess we can score the embryo so we can see which embryo is better or worse quality embryo. Which embryo will is more promising? Which embryo will has the more chance to implant in the patient's uterus? Okay. So actually what the embryologist needs to do, he's taking the picture, that one image of an embryo. He, um, drugs and drops it into the platform called embryo aid. And after a couple of seconds, he has the full, complete result on on the on the um, the scoring of the embryos. So he can see which embryos from the cycle patients have. Like sometimes a couple of embryos, sometimes even you know twelve embryos uh, in one cycle, and the the embryologist. Um, Actually, what's happening today in the clinics, they have to manually choose and, you know, basing on their very subjective, actually, um, subjective opinion, they need to choose the right embryo for the first transfer and the rest of embryos are getting frozen. So they are freezed. And uh, if the cycle is not um, successful, the embryologist, the doctor has to unfreeze the next embryo right to, to 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 uh to make the next transfer so it's really super important which embryo to transfer mm-hmm. so um we thought three years ago it would be really super cool if we could build a system that is helping embryologists in this decision making process like you know supporting him with uh, with hard data Mm -hmm. right? So we fed the algorithm with thousands, thousands of different embryo images and time lapses. So videos of embryos. And, uh, we, uh, trained the algorithm to distinguish between the ones who give the pregnancy and the ones who do not give the pregnancy. Right. So, so we had a very huge data set and, um, we did the validation, and we know that Embroid is working like a council of ten experienced embryologists. So, just imagine if you were embryologist, right, and you were working given twenty years in your uh, in your um, in your career as an embryologist. So, you have a lot of experience. However, imagine you have like behind your back or just next to you is sitting, you know, an an assistant that has a power or superpowers. Of ten additional uh embryologists with twenty years of experience and uh, on average, so would you kind of want to know what this assistant is thinking and giving you, like, whispering you the the right decisions, or you wouldn't listen to him? I mean, when we talk to embryologists, we know that they are overburdened with work, they are tired, they are you know sometimes they are just you know we are all humans, so. The decisions they need to make every day—it's uh, really hard. It's really—it's—it's um, it's a burden of emotional burden for an embryologist, and sometimes they just don't know. They are like you know—they are choosing the embryo by heart, like on intuition. On—it's—it's um, a—it's a very subjective process. And well, Ula,
1: based on that, actually, because it's yeah. so subjective, how can you train an AI algorithm to identify things when it is so subjective?
0: Oh, it's very, easy. I I, I will say now, uh, which might seem surprising, but it's super, it's very easy because we've trained, we've trained the algorithm on, um, with retrospective data. So what does it mean? It means that we took the patient, uh, the embryos, the cycles, the images, and we knew already if the embryo, this specific embryo gave the pregnancy or not. So this is how we train that system, right? So, so do we know why that egg, that embryo
1: worked versus the other ones? Or is it the AI is actually now so seeing things that we humans haven't even figured out yet, but like in terms of trends?
0: Well, so this is a very tricky question. However, I will try to answer, you know, the problem with AI. I mean... Um, Maybe not the problem. However, the, it's, it's really hard sometimes to interpret the decisions taken by, um, taking by the, uh, artificial intelligence or deep neural networks. Okay. So this is what actually all it's now, uh, the science on, on AI is now trying to figure it out how to interpret, uh, the, the decisions or the models. So, um, if you would ask me, what exactly did we found out or how does our ai system makes the decision i can tell you that i know what's what our ai is looking at right but i cannot tell you with with 100% that you know it looks like uh, the, the the elements or the biomarkers that it's taking under account are you know the size of an embryo, the you know the segmentation process, the you know the, the dynamics how the embryo evolves or the um, the size of or inner cell mass. Uh, everything is important, however, uh, however, we still are working on interpretability of those algorithms that we've built. However, however, if you, I'm sure if you ask, um, also embryologist, human embryologist Mm -hmm. to tell you exactly because of what he chosen, he has chosen this and not the the other embryo. He wouldn't be sure for a hundred percent why he did that. You see, it's, it's like, um, it's a matter of experience. That's for sure. But uh, this is actually how we train our models. We are this experience. It's it's the models are looking for patterns. So if you feed the the algorithm with the model with thousands, millions of images, then he he will find the patterns. And this is all about actually AI versus human. We cannot do. We we will not be able to find the pattern even if we study you know millions of books with just embryo images. Yeah. We will not get it right, and and, and, um, and the computer can get it right. So. And now a quick word from our sponsors. This
1: episode is brought to you by Gadea, your go-to UX design consultancy specializing in digital health innovation. Gadia isn't just any design firm. They're a women-owned, women-led powerhouse team that's partnered with 20 of the Fortune 100 companies and impacted over a billion lives through dozens of live products, clinical trials, and even FDA approvals. Speaking from personal experience, the GEDIA team excels in translating your vision into transformative solutions that not only win awards but significantly improve outcomes. And driven by their passion for health equity, Gadia is also the team behind Femovate, a sponsorship program focused on uplifting underrepresented founders and reaching underserved populations. We've already collaborated with over 30 femtech startups across 14 different verticals, offering specialized one-on-one mentoring and guidance in UX research, strategy, and design. So if you are in the femtech space, whether you're just starting or scaling up, Gadea wants to hear from you. Don't miss this chance to work with the team as a committed to your vision as you are. Visit gadea.com, that's G-U-I-D-E-A.com. Let's raise the standard for digital healthcare together. And now back to the interview. Mula, this is so interesting because there's actually a study that came out for breast cancer where they had five AI algorithms analyze thousands of mammograms. And they showed that these algorithms could predict cancer within the next five years with like Mm -hmm. 90% accuracy, even if the mammograms did not show any signs of potential cancer. Like it was a Fine mammogram, nothing wrong. The, you know, radiologists yeah. thought, oh, these look great. And the AI algorithms would flag it as, no, this woman's going to get cancer. And I mean, that's revolutionary, right? And the, in the study was so interesting because they were saying, like, the AI is seeing something that we're not even identifying yet as potentially a risk for cancer. Um, and so one of the, uh, another interesting one was, uh, came out of dermatology was they showed this AI algorithm all of these uh cancerous growths and all of the cancerous growths typically have a ruler in the picture next mm-hmm. to it to show how big it is and so when they asked the ai algorithm hey show us a picture of a cancerous um you know growth it showed a mm-hmm. bunch of pictures of rulers right because an algorithm it was like, oh well, the cancer cancerous mole always has a ruler next to it to show how big it is. So when you're creating this this software and this algorithm, was there any kind of like funny or unique or things that happened where the AI algorithm was like like this? And you were like, No, no computer like this. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Well, uh actually, no, it didn't happen to us. I mean, uh, because I think it's super important uh to first uh, gather the right, uh, the right, um, unbiased data, right? That's so right. I think garbage in, garbage
1: out. So if you yes, exactly.
0: So yeah. I think, um, our expertise is actually, I mean, w- this is what we do for, uh, for like, uh, already more than, uh, seven years and, and, uh, um, my team of data scientists on board, uh, they are um, assistant professors or professors at the university and they, we wrote more than 300 papers on ML, uh, on machine learning. And we published uh, in many uh, international most, I would say best conferences on machine learning recommendation systems and prediction systems. And, um, um, uh, well, uh, I think that we are known. We were always known as uh, as I started MIM Solutions for the quality of of our algorithms. So um, we didn't um, we didn't uh, I think because of that we didn't have such. I I, I cannot tell you a funny story on that. Uh, but I'm sure that uh, many people try, and I know in the pandemics there were so many things, or there were so many AI systems built, you know, to uh, to help or to support um, to detect uh, the virus. However, uh, there was a study made by uh, by I, I don't remember the institute. Uh, however, uh, like from 400 AI different um, prediction models, they they actually spotted five that worked and the rest couldn't be like uh used as a medical device because it was just you know as you were saying garbage in garbage out so it's super important to build a robust model and we do specialize on that and we do research with uh, with MIT for example or on trustworthy AI so um we do collaborations with uh, different universities and i think um the, 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 for example, EmbroAid, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good quality system that works and uh, it does not do any harm to, um, to, to the research and science and uh, especially to the, you know, embryology, right? So, yeah,
1: supporting this, it. Is,
0: this was our like first goal. First of all, to, to build something that would, it will work right and and um, um, as for EmbroAid, it's a certified system under the new mdr it's a we have a certification uh, so we can it's a medical device and and we can commercialize it in europe and you know globally for the time being so um, yeah i was going to
1: yeah. ask about that how many uh clinics are currently using your software what percentage would you say potentially
0: so um so f- we started, uh, it's uh, actually a recent story, because we've started, we uh, did the certification, we finished in December last year, so it's now a couple of months uh, that we have been commercializing EmbroAid, and it's uh, around, I would say, for the time being, 15 clinics that use EmbroAid. Uh, there are also clinics that uh, test or do with us the prospective study with EmbroAid, which is we're waiting in four months, we'll get the outcome of those studies, which is really super important for us. We will write a paper on that. Like, you know, because we did the retrospective, which is also super important. However, you know, like check now the embryo head, how it's working in the real life. So the clinics, we've built the studies. So the clinics that are in the study, they are dividing their patient into two groups. One group, A, is using you know, the, the human embryologists. So they are not supporting, supported by, um, by AI and the other group will be supported. The embryologists will use the support of AI. And after six months, we should see, you know, which group or where's the, what is the effectiveness or the efficacy of, of IVF precision, both groups. So we are, I'm looking, really looking forward to it. Um, how, how will it work? Mm -hmm. However, um, However, there was already a study made, um, uh, like validation study. And, um, uh, there were, um, yeah, if, if I can tell you about the study, I don't know if we have time, but there were 12 embryologists and, um, there were like 150 pairs of different embryos and, uh. Like, uh, the embryologists were asked to, the human embryologists were asked to choose the, 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 the right embryo. So, so left or right. And, uh, they all did that. And of course they had like different, you know, efficiency in choosing the embryos like, like differing from 60%, sometimes 50%, sometimes, you know, 68%. And after three months, actually the same embryologists were asked to choose the same embryos like from the same set of embryos however they were this time supported by ai and the study showed that every embryologist was better in his choice of choosing the right embryo so he well, his like said, the algorithm represents
1: 10 experts and all of a sudden you have 11 experts in the room right do you yeah. think ai would ever replace embryologists or how could it actually expand access to care
0: well, I think, uh, AI will never. It's, it's one of the issue I always uh, talked when I, when I'm at the conferences or I talk to clinics and, uh, there's always this question from embryologists, you know, will AI uh, replace us? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the question, there's a, it's big no. I think it will never happen. Uh, I think that, um, this fear comes from, Unknown from the innovation, from, you know, coming something new that, that seems to be like very intelligent or seems to be, you know, like taking decisions for us humans. But I think it will support, it will take away the, the things from embryologists that are like, you know, there are tedious, the tedious work, what can be automated with AI? It will be automated, but still we need a human in the loop. We are the intelligence, you know. AI, it's not like uh, let's let's make the question: Who builds AI? Right? It's humans, us. So, mm. um, so I think it will, for sure, it will support embryologists. It will um, take the burden from them of you know tedious work. Uh, it will make, make them more efficient. Like they will probably work, or they will probably have. More patients, which is now a big problem about the cost and accessibility of IVF treatment, I think is the one of the biggest issues. You know, for now, you know, it, it's like 20 million people that need IVF globally. You know, and the one percent for the time being can access it. So, uh, if all intended parents were able to have or to access IVF, 10 million babies would be born annually, rather than present one million. So imagine how much we need to make. And I think all lies in it, automation and like, you know, kind of uh, changing the the way we do IVF because so many people are waiting for this, for this to, to access the, the procedure, the treatments, and so many cannot. So we need to change it. We need to totally revolutionize the process. And I think AI is one of the keys to the, to changing it. Absolutely.
1: I know you have another software called FallaScan. Can you tell us yeah. more about that one?
0: Well, of course, pleasure. Uh, so FoleyScan, Scan, it's also a AI driven platform, um, a software that this time supports ultrasonographists. So what we did is, um, it's a software that actually is designed to identify, count and measure follicles in a woman's ovaries. Okay. What
1: so is a uh, follicle for our listeners who may not be familiar with what a follicle is in an ovary.
0: Okay. So follicles, every woman is born with thousands of follicles. And with the age, we are like getting rid, rid of those, or we are losing follicles. And from the follicle, um, the, the egg is born, right? So the more follicle we have, the more fertile the woman is. Okay. Mm-hmm. So actually when you come to the clinic or um, you are in, uh, a, a pay, or let's say after one year of, you know, trying to having a baby to conceive, you are not like achieving your goal. You are going to the clinic or to the, to the, uh, to the fertility expert. And first of all, what he does is a fertility diagnosis, right? So, and this fertility diagnosis is follicle counting, unnatural follicle counting, which is like he, Using ultrasound uh, he does this uh, ovarian ultrasound monitoring and he's checking how many follicles you have in your ovaries. you can see it
1: how big is an ovary? I think ovaries are pretty small, right like a marble or is it like um, a
0: golf ball oh no it's it's uh it's uh it's probably I don't know f- like a golf ball yeah. however fo- small follicles are really really small like the yeah. antral follicles like uh five millimeters. In the, in the, um, in the diameter, mm-hmm. like, uh, those big follicles that are, um, that are measured by the, uh, by, uh, by, um, by doctors or by the ultrasonographers are big the, bigger than 10 millimeters. It's like 10, 12, 17 millimeters. And we call the small ones every, uh, every follicles less than uh, 10 millimeters in the diameter. So this wow. is this is a small polygon. Well, I just
1: looked I just googled it y'all listeners um and it, the internet says it's the size of an almond.
0: Okay. The, That's uh, pretty small. The, you say the ovary. Yeah. Yeah. However, in the treatment, uh, because you are using the stimulation protocol and you are using hormones, Um, you are stimulating the ovary to produce more follicles and more eggs in the cycle, right? This is all about actually because you are stimulating afterwards. You are instead of in the normal cycle having one mature egg, you are having a couple of, couple of eggs or more than 10 even, you know, it depends on the stimulation protocol. So, and you are retrieving those eggs from the ovary. Doing the fertilization, of course. And afterwards you are, you know, culturing the, the embryos and you are choosing the embryo and putting this embryo into back into the woman's arteries. And you are waiting two weeks long for having the, having the, the outcome. If it's, if, if you have a healthy pregnancy or if you are pregnant or you are, you are not pregnant. So, uh, so where does fall scan come into play in this? Yeah. So fall scan, it's actually the very first examination or very first stage of every IVF cycle every F, uh, IVF uh, procedure and it's a fundamental examination um, that you actually do a couple of times during the IVF procedure because we are not performing it once you are performing this at least two times or even four times in the in one cycle Okay. Because what's super important is for a doctor to know the dynamics, how the follicles grow. And here it comes follicle scan. Because, uh, well, every human or every um, every expert ultrasonographist, is measuring the follicles in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, they are so small. Uh, it's, you know, uh, it depends as well on your expertise and on your experience, how you do it. But, you know, if, even you, if you have, um, like three, four ultrasonographers in your clinic and you're a big clinic, any, uh, any, uh, decision maker or, you know, the CEO of a clinic can, uh, can state that all four of them are measuring uh, follicles in a different way. And by measuring this in a different way, you are giving a different stimulation protocol. You are building a different stimulation protocol. And actually, um, this everything, everything like it's not standardized process. It's, uh, it varies. It's if you, if you make a small change in, in counting and, and if you oversee a follicle, we know from our validation that. Um uh, foley scan can see up to thirty percent more follicles than a human eye, so just imagine if you could see more follicles you would already have like different fertility diagnosis for this patient mm. so uh what we give with Follicle scan we are making the whole examination um uh, of follicle counting more accurate and it's and it's faster because we are doing it in an automatic way you just need actually we need the nurse who takes a three to uh, four second uh, movie of rev- left and right ovary. You send it to our platform and after 20 seconds, you get the whole report on, you know, on follicles, so on your follicles. So like the whole, it's called, uh, in the terminology, folliculogram. So you get the, you know, the, the report, the outcome, how many follicles there are, what sizes, um, uh, how they, where are they measured, and actually, you, it's the, our platform is also interactive. So you can, if you like, for example, see something in the ovary that you like to add in your report. You can do it. You can also cancel or add another follicle. So you know it's um, it's it's very user friendly, I would say.
1: So does the, um, does the software it, identify where in the ovary the follicle is, and does that even matter for egg retrieval? Yes. Retri- so
0: retri- what's uh, what's uh, s- What's actually super cool about the software is that it even in de- identifies the ovary. You don't need to. Um, uh, it, it finds the ovary where it is and where the follicles by itself. So you don't need a very highly skilled expert as such anymore. You can give it away this this uh, this, um, this examination to to a nurse or a midwife who will take the the scan and she will send it to to our platform so it does identify and it does differ i mean we can um the software can differentiate between like a follicle and a cyst which is very important because um in all uh, machinery i mean the um, ultrasound uh, machines Mm -hmm. There are some many uh, semi-automatic systems that support and counting. However, they do not distinguish between the cyst or different other black objects, let's say so, because it's it's a, another black object in the ovary. And, uh, and we are doing this. Wow. Far, do you think yes. at one
1: point women could maybe be checking their follicles at home and that report going to their doctor? Because I know... Um, when you're doing egg retrieval, it's almost like you can't leave the city. You have to stay locally because it's almost like an everyday thing. You're waiting. Is that, could this maybe help with that?
0: And this is, this is exactly the point you are hitting. I mean, the super important, uh, 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 that you are noticing because it's a huge bottleneck because sometimes the clinic is 400 kilometers or, you know, 200 miles away from your home. So I think this is where the loop will close when the woman would can make actually the 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 the, the, the ultrasound monitoring of follicles at home. Yes, it's it's the future for sure. Um, it's a very challenging task. It's sup- I, I think it would be super hard to build such a hardware. Uh, however, I'm not saying it's not possible course uh, you can say everything is possible however it's super challenging and i think uh this is what actually we will need at the end that you know every woman would can can check or do the monitoring at home That's so amazing. it will solve a lot of accessibility uh those issues that i was talking you know in the in the beginning of our discussion that you know sometimes it's just because you cannot reach the clinic um, it's, uh, it will solve a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, 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 just to tell you, I was talking like two weeks ago with a, with a guy, with a doctor from Chile. And he told me that Chile is long as you, the whole Europe and like the clinic, the next clinic can be t- 2000 kilometers away from the patient. So mm-hmm. when he heard about Foley scan already, because, What's cool about Foley Scan? You can, you can outsource this examination to every OBGYN office, like to satellite clinic. So you can perform the examination in the hometown of the patient and you can send the outcome, the report online to the IVF clinic. And you can wow. just call the patients for their pickup date, right? So
1: yep.
0: I think it, it solves already this, this issue. It's not like at home, but it's still like in the hometown of the of the patients so we are solving here a big problem
1: that's incredible are there other parts of IVF that they're using imagery to make decisions and could your software be helpful
0: well in the IVF you have um I'm trying to think uh or maybe I can
1: reframe it in is there a future direction
0: for MIM well uh yeah sure I mean you know, I think that where there is this decision has to be done in the fertility treatment in the IVF procedure, and there is data enough of data, you know, it's you can uh, you can use AI, right? You can build a system that will support uh this decision making. So um where we are heading with AI and with uh MIM fertility, actually we would like in the future to kind of to, um, how is, how we call it to, 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 to approach this problem holistic in a holistic way, because, you know, embryo embryos assessment, for example, is just one part of the puzzle, but there are so many other puzzles that need to be like put together to, to eventually have this one most important outcome. So pregnancy, so actually would like to support any decision making with AI and build a intelligent, holistic platform where every kind of very small decision making is supported by, you know, uh, by, by decision making uh, with, with AI. So this is where we are heading. Because it could
1: just be a rounding error in this, but if you have a rounding error in every single step, that becomes a big error, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You mean error? Uh, um uh,
1: if there's a problem like a a mistake in one part of a process but even if it's a little baby mistake but if you have little baby mistakes in every step of a process it becomes a really big mistake right like it builds on itself Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yes uh, exactly and actually i think this is what happens today you know uh, with ivf process why actually ivf is only 30 percent successful you could everyone asks himself or uh this question, you know, from the, from, in the IVF world, why we are only 30% successful, you know? Um, why we are not like, you know, having a baby, you know, just after one cycle, why it's not 95% or 90%. So I think there's still very much to uncover. I think um, this is not my opinion, by opinion of, you know, fertility experts that in the last 40 years of, you know, making IVF, not that much has been changed in the whole process and what's coming it's the standardization of process of the whole processes you know and 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 personalization of the treatment Mm -hmm. um i think it's super important and i think that this will be a game changer uh, where we can uh, just achieve better outcomes um and you know now in the process there are Already many people involved, especially in big clinics, you know, where you have like there's embryologists, you have endocrinologists, you have ultrasonographists, and every in every part and every puzzle, you can, as you are saying, make this small mistake, right? Mm. Even in the fertility diagnosis. We are already trying to upgrade, we are already trying to make this fertility diagnosis with foli scan more accurate. So we're trying to 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 kind of tap all those things, all those stages, put it all together afterwards and you know make it and we hope to you know have the the big the the biggest impact on on IVF treatment as such Um, thank you
1: so much for your time today thank you all that you do this is absolutely incredible and is really a futuristic episode but it's currently already being used so the future is here and thank you so much for all that you do
0: thank you very much
1: Thank you for listening to my interview with Ula Sankowska, co-CEO of MIM Fertility. Learn more about the MIM Fertility platform at www.mimfertility.ai. Okay, fem fans, it's time to get engaged. If you love the show, then you'll definitely enjoy reading our weekly newsletter. Subscribe at FemHealthInsights.com. While there, you can also join our virtual community, which has over 1,000 FemTech founders, investors, and advisors you can get insights and feedback from. We have an active events calendar, jobs board, and much more. Please give our social channels for FemTech Focus and FemHealth Insights a follow. The links are in the show notes. And don't forget, Sharing is caring. Send this show to a friend or colleague and keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.